Hey everyone, and welcome to the Grow and Go podcast, where we address the topics that matter right now so that you can grow your caregiving knowledge and go forward with confidence. This is episode number two, and I am incredibly excited about our guest today. It's someone I've been looking forward to interviewing now for the past couple weeks, especially with everything going on right now around COVID and senior living organizations. I know a lot of you have loved ones that are in a community or in a skilled nursing facility, and there's a lot of questions, a lot of concerns. So today's guest is Dr. Michael Wasserman. Dr. Wasserman is a geriatrician who has devoted his career to serving the needs of older adults. He's currently the president of the California Association of Long-Term Care Medicine, as well as the editor-in-chief of Springer's upcoming textbook, Geriatric Medicine, a Person-Centered, Evidence-Based Approach. He is also acting medical director at a skilled nursing community in California. In the past two weeks, Dr. Wasserman has been interviewed by CNN, Anderson Cooper, Good Morning America, and many other prominent media outlets, quickly becoming one of the most prominent voices for the long-term care industry during this crisis. So without further ado, let's get to the interview with Dr. Michael Wasserman. Welcome. Dr. Wasserman, to the Grow and Go podcast. We all know that you're incredibly busy right now doing incredibly important work for uh, our country's most vulnerable population. So we thank you for taking some time out of your day to address what is a is a very, very stressful scenario for a lot of Americans right now as their loved ones are in nursing facilities, in assisted living facilities all across the country. So thank you so much for taking some time. My pleasure. So... You've been a very prominent voice for the skilled and senior living communities during this pandemic. Um, In several interviews with uh, CNN um, and Good Morning America, uh, you've said that folks living in nursing homes are really the most vulnerable to this virus. Why is that? It's a lot of reasons. Number one, older adults are going to be more susceptible to the virus and to its untoward effects. So We see even in people who aren't in congregate living settings, older adults, that if they get this virus, they do worse. So that's number one. When you then combine that with the congregate living setting, so now you have multiple people in confined spaces. I think it sort of becomes obvious to folks that how the virus can spread, um, how there can be a higher load of virus around. I mean, I think it's been almost, A month and a half now, we heard about that choir practice that led to a number of folks having the the virus and even some of them passing away. So just imagine taking a group of older adults in an enclosed space, and there you go. You have what, what I like to call the accelerator for the virus. So obviously with the, you know, the increased risk um, of this population, there's a lot of families that have been weighing this decision of, you know, do I take my loved one out of the facility or do I let them stay? Um, in a recent interview with Anderson Cooper, you said that you'd even likely remove your loved one from his facility during these times. Now, obviously, there's a lot that goes into that decision, but kind of a two-part question here. How has your stance on that changed, say, in the last two weeks? And then two, what advice would you actually give families who are currently facing this decision today? So my heartfelt response was with a few exceptions. 
um, I would probably pull my loved one out of a nursing home uh, if I wanted to improve their chance of surviving. Now, again, I'm a physician, I'm a geriatrician, I understand how to take care of folks in this circumstance. I also understand good infection prevention. So if the average family took their loved one home, there's a good chance they're not gonna know all the right things to do. And so they could be putting them more at risk, but also aside from the infection part, there's a reason people are in nursing homes and, and assisted livings, they need additional care. And most families aren't really prepared to provide that care. And you know, as, as challenging as nursing homes and assisted livings are and expensive, the cost of trying to replicate what they do is sometimes three to four times what people spend for these communities. So let's take a look at this from another angle. In the case where a family member is caring for a loved one at home, you know, what tactical guidance would you give them? You know, are there practices that they could apply from the nursing home setting at home? Yeah, great question also. Uh, yes. So the most important thing is that we're practicing stellar hand hygiene. So washing hands regularly, um, making sure that when you come in from the outside, if you've had exposure to anyone who might have COVID, if you've been outside, if you've been in the supermarket, you know, you come home, you, you, you wash your hands diligently. Um, you know, there's somewhat less questions about clothing uh, for a lot of reasons. We still don't know how much you can carry on your clothes. It's, it's probably not a major risk. Um, so, you know, that's probably not as big of a deal, but it, it really comes down to, uh, and at the same time, if you're outdoors and you might be exposed, then wearing a mask uh, at home is probably a good idea too. And that's, that's one of the, 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 the challenges here is unless you're personally practicing literally perfect infection prevention and you're staying at home yourself, or when you're out in the community, you're wearing a mask, you're doing all the right things. You want to be careful because one of the common things, younger people can get this virus and be asymptomatic. And actually so can older people. And when they're asymptomatic, they can still be passing on the virus. So if you spend any prolonged period of time around other people, you want to consider wearing a mask at all times. Now, for my family, uh, my wife and I and my older daughter, we've been, we've been locked at home literally for six weeks. And, uh, you know, when I go to the supermarket, I wear an N95 mask, I come home, I wash, I clean, and, and, and I'm good. And, and I, think, I think that works. But if I were going to work, if I were around a lot of other people, I would probably be taking even more precautions than I'm taking now. Absolutely. So let's switch gears for a second. As a geriatrician, you're grounded in internal medicine, you know, probably neurology, psychiatry, and rehabilitation, but you've also got to have a genuine fondness for treating and supporting older patients. And a big part of that treatment, I imagine, has to be strong communication yes. skills. So Anne, a member of our Facebook community, uh, asked us uh, to ask you, how can I communicate my concerns to mom without also alarming her at the same time? 
So what strategies would you suggest those like Anne use when talking to their loved one about what's going on without also creating an unnecessary alarm or scare? You know, the most challenging corollary is telling an older loved one that they probably shouldn't be driving anymore. That is the single most difficult thing I've ever had to do as a geriatrician. And so, honestly, I think this is a lot easier because I think older people absolutely understand the risks from this virus. They, they read the newspapers, they see it, they know that this is a dangerous virus, they know that this is a miserable thing to get. And so, I actually don't think it's very difficult. I think honesty works very well. Telling your loved one, we want to help protect you from, from the virus. We want to keep you safe. I don't think there's any reason to beat around the bush. In fact, uh, you know, that's one of the things I've learned over the years, even in the case of driving. People know what their challenges are. People know what their limitations are. They may not want to hear them, but they know. And so I think just being honest is, is the best thing to do. You know, this is an incredibly stressful time, uh, especially for family caregivers, you know, whether they're weighing that decision to bring a loved one home or they're trying to get updates and information from their loved one's provider. You know, there's a ton of anxiety surrounding this entire situation. What's your perspective on, you know, the family's role during all this? And how do you coach staff members to really keep families involved safely? So, you know, I think there's a lot of older people who are just isolating in place and their families are communicating with them through Skype, through FaceTime, through Zoom. I think that's great. I think, um, you know, it's really interesting. In the last couple of years, there's been a lot of literature, I'm sure you're very familiar with, on the impact of social isolation. And we know that social isolation has a negative physical impact on older adults. And, and one of my concerns is we have folks in nursing homes and assisted livings on one hand, if they get the virus, their risk of, of dying is pretty high. On the other hand, if we isolate them, we're also increasing their risk of dying, and we know that. And so we're, we're a bit between a rock and a hard place with the caveat that I think there's opportunities with technology to find ways of interacting. Uh, additionally, I, I think as things start getting opened up again and people are out more, I don't think we want to open up our nursing homes and assisted livings, but there might be opportunities for loved ones to come and visit, keeping physical dis distancing, keeping protective equipment, to give that human touch. And is there some risk? Yeah. At the same time, what's the risk of not doing it? And, and you know, a lot of older people, and I'm, I'm sort of in, the, in between there right now where, where I am, is they... I have, a, I have a family friend who's in her mid-80s who volunteers at a, a nursing home. And she still wants to go volunteer and her family's not letting her. And her reaction is, look, if something happens to me, that's okay because this is what I'd love to do. And those are decisions everyone has to make for themselves. People have to make their decisions in terms of their goals, their preferences, what matters to them. So I, I think that's kind of the way I look at it. I think we really should be making sure that we are interacting with our older, uh, older loved ones.
You know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you touched on the isolation piece because it has been, um, you know, an increasingly important topic in long-term care for the last several years. Um, you know, those studies have come out and, and, and shown those negative effects. So I am glad you touched on it. And the other thing that I'm happy about is that, you know, CMS has, has noticed it too and, and, and come to kind of the aid of some of these staff members and loosened those restrictions around telehealth um, to the point where even FaceTime and Google Duo are, are applicable use cases. And so what that's done, from my perspective, it's, it's allowed staff and teams to really scale up their capabilities by being able to use those personal devices to connect family and, and resident uh, via FaceTime or other technology. Lastly, um, you know, to finish, kind of go go high level with me here for a second. You know, sometimes it takes a crisis for large systems to adapt. You know, what changes can we expect around long-term care delivery? You know, how do you see the role of geriatricians like yourself evolving uh, in the future? Or uh, is this a scenario where we go back to business as usual? I cannot imagine going back to business as usual. I think, look. I am making predictions that we could lose easily a quarter of a million older adults throughout the country when the epidemiologists go back and look at the death rates. Because a lot of folks are dying that aren't being captured as COVID. But what's good, it's a very simple thing for the epidemiologists. How many people normally die over this period of time and how, people, how many people did die this year? And we're gonna seize huge numbers. And I don't think we'll ever be the same again in, in that regard. In terms of the industry, um, I think this is a, a, a pivotal moment. I think it's a, I think the industry needs to be taken to task for how they got to a place that would allow this to happen. And there, I was talking to a colleague this morning about this very issue. There are a lot of very strong advocates in both for both nursing homes and assisted livings that have been fierce advocates for adequate staffing. And now, I'll be honest, adequate staffing doesn't always, your staff needs to know what they're doing. So you can have all the people in the world, but if they don't know what they're doing, it doesn't work. And I think we've all learned from technology, sometimes we can work smarter, not harder. So there's some middle grounds, but I think we're all gonna have to decide, do nursing homes and assisted livings need to be functioning differently in the future? And you know, we just put out a white paper, uh, it's on our California Association of Long-Term Care Medicine website, for what COVID-19 facilities should look like and how they need to run. And the way we're proposing running them is a paradigm shift with how traditional nursing homes run. Uh, traditional nursing homes run from top to bottom with an administrator who kind of tells everyone what to do. We're proposing much more uh, level of expertise at each level of the nursing home um, and the focus needs to be on caring rather than filling beds. And you know, a lot of assisted livings act as if they're places for health and wellness, but they're just fancy apartments. And, and I think 
if we want them to be places of health and wellness, we're going to need to change the way we do things. And the same with nursing homes. If we want nursing homes to truly be places for health and wellness, we're going to need to change the way we do things. And to your point, you know, I was telling my colleague this morning that we geriatrician, we're, we're the Rodney Dangerfields of, health, of medicine. We get no respect. And, you know, my whole career, and I've been doing this for over 30 years, when I first started, other doctors said, why are you going into geriatrics? We all take care of old people. There's actually literature about that. And, and here's the shame. 32 years later, my young colleagues hear the same refrain from other doctors. And during this pandemic, and after this pandemic, I think the healthcare medical world will realize it was the geriatricians that knew what was coming. It was the geriatricians that were offering actionable recommendations for saving lives. And their voices weren't being listened to because we don't get respect and we don't have power and we don't have money. And I'm hoping if something good comes out of all this, it's that society, healthcare, everyone in the community will realize the value of specialists in geriatrics. And you know, I always gotta catch myself, I talk geriatricians because I'm a geriatrician, but I'm talking nurse practitioners, physician assistants, pharmacists, social workers, gerontologists. There are a whole community of healthcare experts who care about older adults who have spent their lives gaining expertise in all aspects of caring for older adults. And I, I hope that when this is over, there will be a greater appreciation, not only of what all those folks bring to the table, but the need for them to be at the table. So I would absolutely echo that statement. I think that you're spot on. It, it does need to evolve. And, and I think we will see evolution, not only in the healthcare delivery model, but also the, you know, the structure and makeup of long-term care, you know, specifically nursing facilities and, yes. and assisted living facilities. Um, but as, as far as our audience goes, are there, are there ways that, uh, are there specific asks you would have of our audience? You know, we talk about advocacy and we talk about you know, speaking to anybody that will listen about the importance of a, the geriatrician and the role that you play. You know, is there anything we as an audience or we as a community can do to help you and to help your cause? So that actually brings us, yes. So I think from a physician perspective, um, there are fewer than, there are really about 7,000 geriatricians in the country. That number is going down every year. The number of older adults was going up every year. It's going to go down this year. But then it will go up again. Uh, I think families of older loved ones need to advocate to the government, to anyone who will listen, that we need more specialists in the field of geriatrics and gerontology. Um, I, I think, yeah, I mean, that's really, really the most important thing. So. Thank you so much for uh, for taking some time out of your day and your busy schedule right now to address these topics for our audience. I think the the advice was 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 tactical. It was actionable. So I, I do appreciate you taking some time and sharing some of your insight with folks. Thank you. Um, uh, as I've enjoyed uh, in over the past you know a couple weeks uh, getting to know you on social media. 
Um, you're a good follow on Twitter. So if folks are interested in following along and hearing more of your interviews, uh, I would suggest uh, following at uh, Wasdoc, so at W-A-S-S-D-O-C. Um, they can learn a lot about you and the things that you're focused on or concerned about, and, and I think get some even some more helpful information about you know, advocating for uh, a geriatrician uh, to be in the room and to be to connected to their loved one and their community. So, so thank you again so much for being a part of this. Thanks very much. Wow. Thank you so much uh, to Dr. Michael Wasserman for being able to sit down, carve some time out of his incredibly busy schedule uh, to do this, to address some of these topics that, that our audience is really struggling with every day. Uh, so thank you to him. Uh, obviously, Dr. Wasserman is incredibly qualified uh, to answer and address a lot of these topics, especially from the perspective of geriatrician. Uh, obviously, you heard him talk a lot about that, the need for geriatricians to play a critical role in that care circle. Um, so we'll definitely want to have Dr. Wasserman back on to do a follow-up to talk about some of those issues he, he brought up. Um, again, I hope you enjoyed the, the, the conversation. These are all meant for you all. Um, I hope that you're, you're getting information out of them. They're growing your knowledge. They're giving you some actionable steps that you can take and implement today in your caregiving journey. Um, if you have questions, if you have concerns that you'd love for us to address, if you've got a, a, someone that you think that would be a great interview for us, please let us know. Make those suggestions either in the comments or on the website or on our social media. Uh, you can find us at, at caregiving.com on, uh, at, I should say, at caregiving on Twitter, at caregiving support on Facebook. Uh, we're monitoring those pages very closely for your questions right now. and want to make sure that we can provide timely support. Uh, as always, we really appreciate the feedback. If you've got uh, the ability to, please like, please subscribe, please share with your friends and family members, anyone you think could benefit from this knowledge base. Uh, all of it helps. So thank you so much. And uh, we'll look forward to, uh, to seeing you next time. Okay, bye now. <laughs>